0: Hey there, my name is Annette Jones, and this is the Motherhood Elevated Podcast, episode number three, Becoming an Emotional Adult. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. hey everybody welcome back to the motherhood elevated podcast i am recording this um, from the mountains we're up at a family reunion this week and so i'm gonna have to figure out how to find some wi-fi and upload this episode for you this week but i just want to take a second to thank all of you who have given me such wonderful feedback on this podcast i've had a lot of people tell me that the first two episodes were very helpful for them and that they learned a lot so i'm going to keep it going I love doing it, and I think it's a lot of fun, so thanks for listening. My goal with this podcast is to share these tools with as many women as possible and to teach them how to coach themselves to deliberate and fulfilling lives. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I found that as a mom... My kids watch me and they pick up on my actions and my habits and the things that I say without me even trying to influence them and without them really knowing it. And I can see that when I'm applying these tools that I show up differently for them. And I think I'm not only a better mom, but a better example of positivity and happiness and um, feeling content. So we hear all of the time that children hear our actions much more loudly than they hear our words. And I've definitely seen this to be true with my own kids. They don't like lectures from me, for sure. And I think that they learn more by watching me than even through the formal lessons I try to teach them in family night. PowerPoints and all, I've done it. Not that those family night lessons aren't important. They are for sure. But I think our everyday examples are extremely influential for our children and for everyone we come into contact with. I think there is a real need for positive role models in today's society. And women and moms who are healthy emotionally and mentally are a very powerful force for good in the world. So that's why I'm pretty passionate about sharing this work because I believe it's really valuable as we seek to achieve that emotional wellness. And coaching has done just that for me, it's really helped me in my everyday life as well as through some of my very biggest challenges. There is a quote from the Prophet Brigham Young that summarizes what I think coaching has done for me. He said, The principles of eternity and eternal exaltation are of no use to us unless they are brought down to our capacities so that we practice them in our lives. And I love that. I really feel like these coaching principles have helped me to see the gospel more completely and more concretely and have shown me how to more effectively practice the principles of the gospel in my life. So. Today I want to talk to you about a concept that I think is foundational in the work of coaching. And if you can understand and apply this concept, it can really change a lot of things for you. So many clients of mine come to coaching with issues having to do with their relationships with other people, either with a child or a spouse, an in-law, a friend, someone at church, etc. And so much of the time, the problem stems from the client seeing the situation from a place of what is referred to as emotional childhood. So what's emotional childhood? The definition is when you give the responsibility for your own emotions to someone or something outside of you. So, emotional childhood is blaming your problems, your frustration, your hurt feelings, or annoyance on other people or things that happen. And if you think about it, we start out as babies and we are completely dependent on our parents or our caregivers for our food, our protection, our survival, and essentially our happiness, right? And then if you've ever had a toddler, you know that sometimes, or lots of times, we we as parents go out of our way to keep the peace, to keep them from going into tantrum mode, especially in a public place. And so we use things like food or toys or electronics maybe to distract them when we see the meltdown coming. So we start out our lives as children really dependent on others for our well-being and our happiness. and we kind of have a very controlled life. And it's not really something that we try to do, but as children, this is kind of how we begin developmentally, depending on others. And as we mature to adulthood, we develop the capacity to understand the link between our thoughts and our feelings, and we understand that we have a choice, we have agency in how we're choosing to feel in a given situation. So we develop that capacity, but the problem is, most of us aren't really taught to do this. There aren't classes offered in school about how to take responsibility for your emotions. And we were taught to be independent in other ways as we grow up. We're taught how to start taking care of our physical well-being, like healthy eating habits or brushing our teeth or having good hygiene. Then we gain more independence when we get our driver's licenses and maybe get a job. And then we take on more, more responsibility for our homework and our grades as we get older And we have opportunities then to move away from home and learn financial responsibility and independence. But I don't know that very many of us are taught how to take responsibility for our own emotions. And if you think about it, we hear all kinds of confusing messages about other people's ability to influence how we feel. We're told that other people can hurt our feelings or that we can hurt other people's feelings, right? We use those terms all of the time. And while the intention is really good, we're kind of reinforcing the idea that other people are responsible for how we feel and that they can hurt our feelings with their words or their actions. But believing this can really leave us disempowered and keep us in kind of a victim mode. But if you want to know the truth, no one can hurt your feelings unless you let them. No one can have any control over your thinking or your feelings unless you give them permission. They cannot hurt you, or offend you, or make you angry, or annoyed, or resentful, but you can choose to allow those feelings. No one can take over the power of your emotions, but you certainly can give that power away. Now in the scriptures, we are taught that God created both things to act and things to be acted upon, and that he gave us as humans the ability to act for ourselves. So what does that mean, the ability to act for ourselves? Well, God knew that giving agency to, our, to us as his children was crucial and that we all needed that opportunity and that ability to keep progressing. And so we came into a world where people are going to use that agency and make mistakes with that agency. They're going to say and do things that aren't kind sometimes. And some people will even try to deliberately hurt other people with their agency. But did God intend for us to be paralyzed and disempowered when people use their agency in those ways? I really don't think he did. We were not meant to be acted upon, but to act, which means we get to use our agency to decide how we will respond to other people's behavior, even when they're acting in ways that we don't like. Now, we see as ourselves as adults, right? When we turn 18, that's kind of our rite of passage and suddenly be, become official. But even though we are legally and physically considered adults, many of us are still functioning as emotional children. Now I know what some of you are thinking. So it doesn't matter how we treat other people and I shouldn't teach my kids to be kind because they aren't responsible for others' feelings. Well, of course we want to teach our children to be kind and compassionate and thoughtful and loving. And even though we aren't responsible for someone else's emotions, we are responsible for the way that we behave. And it really is up to us individually to decide who we want to be in the world and how we want to show up. So yes, teach your children to love and serve and be kind and helpful and positive and set that example for them. But but do it because that's an amazing, happy way to live. And it's also a happy way to take responsibility for your own emotions and not to delegate that to someone else. Our church curriculum of study this year is the New Testament. So we've kind of been immersed in learning about the Savior in his life, right? And I was thinking that the Savior lived this way. He was the most com- kind and compassionate and loving and charitable being that ever lived on the earth. And it was just who he was. Those were his attributes and the characteristics that he had developed. But he also took responsibility for himself in that he didn't let any of the cruelty or hatred or negativity or even abuse directed at him affect his sense of self or his beliefs or actions or his earthly mission. His purpose in this life was never thwarted by people seeking to tear him down or discredit him. The savior was an emotional adult in every way. And we are trying to become like him, right? To follow his example and acquire those attributes. And so the way that we achieve emotional adulthood is by taking responsibility for our own emotional life, for our happiness, our sadness, our joy, our anger, taking responsibility for the love we feel as well as the resentment, all of it. And this is no small task. When many of us first learn about this concept, um, we kind of want to resist it because it goes against what we've heard our whole lives. But staying in emotional childhood, Is basically the equivalent of handing someone a remote control to your feelings and behavior and saying, here you go, you get to decide how I'm gonna feel and act today. Handing over our power to someone or something makes us dependent on that person or that thing for how we feel. And even though that sounds kind of ridiculous, this is in reality the way a lot of us are living. Now let's talk for a minute about our interactions with other people. Am I saying that we shouldn't give compliments to each other or lift and encourage each other? No, not at all. We all love acts and words of kindness, right? But there is a big difference between being inspired and feeling love from compliments and words of validation and needing it to feel good about and value ourselves. So yes, keep giving compliments and receiving them graciously. Keep showing and accepting love, but don't put yourself into a position where you can't be a happy, productive, purposeful person without these things. Because sometimes we'll get them, and that's awesome, but sometimes we won't. And if we get discouraged or even debilitated when people aren't validating us, we know we're putting our emotional remote control into the wrong hands. And if you can really get to the place of being in control of your own experience, then when the criticism and the negativity and the unkind words do come along, They won't have any power over you. You will have the ability to decide what you want to think and what you want to feel. So let's look at some examples of this. Several years ago, when I was first married, I was called to teach Relief Society in the family ward we had just moved into. And I'm pretty sure that at 22, I was the youngest person in that Relief Society and I was pretty intimidated with this calling. Well, I worked on my first lesson, which was on eternal marriage, for a good month, and after I taught it, I actually thought it had gone pretty well. But a few weeks later, I was in a teacher development meeting where one of the men in the class made a comment about how his wife, who happened to be the Relief Society president, thought that particular lesson should have been approached differently, implying that I hadn't done a very good job. Now I don't think he realized that the person who had given that lesson was in the room, maybe he did, but I was crushed. I remember feeling very hurt and embarrassed and really ashamed, and as soon as the closing prayer was said, I headed straight for the door. And I cried the whole way home, and I never wanted to show my face in Relief Society ever again. However, I did eventually recover and live to teach release Society, Future Lessons in Early Society, but I also look back and wish that I had understood the concept of emotional adulthood, because I think it would have helped me to prevent a lot of the emotional pain and suffering that I created for myself in this experience. So for a while after that happened, I just would ruminate about it and continued to bring up those feelings of shame and embarrassment for myself. And I made it mean all kinds of things about myself, like that I wasn't a good teacher, and that the Relief study president didn't like me, and for a while I let it affect my confidence and the way I showed up around people in my ward. I also made it mean that this man and his wife weren't very nice people to say things like that about someone else's lesson. Well, now I realize that I was suffering so much more than was necessary. Now I realize that those comments were more of a reflection of this man and his wife's own experiences and opinions and that they really didn't have anything to do with me. I also remember that after my lesson, a few ladies had come up and told me how much they'd gotten out of it and enjoyed it, so why wasn't I taking their feedback into account? It's that negativity bias I talked about in the first episode, right? My brain was wanting to focus on what was going wrong. So really, I had the option to believe I'd given a great lesson that had been beneficial to the Sisters in Relief Society, or I could believe that I'd really messed up and that I should never teach or even show my face at church again. I could choose to feel whatever I wanted in that situation regardless of what anyone else said or thought. And if you think about it in terms of the model that I taught in last week's episode, the difference is that continuing to allow myself to feel shame and to dwell in that would lead to results in my life that I probably didn't want and that wouldn't serve me very well in the long run. But creating and allowing an emotion like confidence or compassion or understanding in that situation would lead to actions that would help me move forward and create more helpful, desirable results. Now sometimes, emotional childhood affects us in our relationships with our kids. Sometimes we let our children's behavior or the choices they make affect how we gauge our success as mothers. So if our kids are obedient and considerate and getting good grades and keeping the commandments and going to church and are happy and not having any major problems, then we give ourselves permission to feel good and think that we're doing a good job. But if our kids are struggling in one or more of those areas or any other area, we can be really hard on ourselves and allow all kinds of feelings like anxiety or frustration or shame or feelings of failure. We might think that if we just would have done something differently, our child wouldn't be struggling. That if we were just a better mom, our kids would be able to avoid all this. And sometimes we try to control their experiences because we don't want them to have to suffer or go through hard things. But guess what? That's not the plan. Our kids were sent here to make their own choices and have their own experiences. And sometimes that means they have to struggle. But we want so badly to step in and control things and make everything better and get our kids to make the choices, good choices, so that they'll be happy. And if our kids are happy, we can be happy, right? I remember hearing Sister Hinckley say that um, something to the effect of that she realized she could only be as happy as her saddest child. And that meant that with five kids, she would rarely ever be happy. And for so long, I felt the same way. But now I understand that I can, of course, sympathize and empathize with my kids and even feel all the feelings of grieving and sadness and pain when they're struggling. But I can also choose to feel peace and love and faith and acknowledge that God knows them and that he'll take care of them and that I don't have to control everything. That even when they have to suffer, even when they make mistakes, Heavenly Father is completely and lovingly aware of them and he won't forget them. Sometimes we take so much guilt on as moms. We think that we alone are responsible for our children's success and happiness. And then we're so hard on ourselves when, the things, when things don't go the way that we want them to. Or the way that we think they should. But our responsibility is to love them and teach them and then to let them make their own choices, right? The prophet Joseph Smith said that we teach them correct principles and then let them govern themselves, which means they get to have their agency and make decisions for themselves. And our success as mothers is not riding on the choices our children make. Our job is to do our best and then hand the rest over to God. And coming to that place can bring a lot of peace. We're not here to fix everything and manage everybody else's choices or emotions and as i said before i believe the best thing we can do as mothers for our children is to manage our own emotional well-being then we can be the loving supportive faith-filled examples that we want to be and the same applies in all of our relationships with our spouses with our friends our extended families our neighbors we can let them be who they are and then decide who we want to be in our relationships with them. Now, let's make something clear. Being an emotional adult does not mean you won't ever feel negative emotions. doesn't mean that you won't ever feel hurt, or left out, or offended, or resentful, or like you're failing. But when you're aware that you have created and allowed these emotions with your thinking, that you are feeling this way because of what you are making the circumstance mean, when you recognize that you're in control of all of it, you take back your power. You are no longer the victim. You acknowledge that you're choosing to feel this way and that you don't have to if you don't want to. You get to decide. And sometimes you might just wanna feel that emotion and sit with it, and that's totally fine. Keep doing it as long as you need to. But when you get to the point that you don't want to feel that anymore, that you're tired tired of feeling hurt or frustrated or overwhelmed, you know that you have the power to create a new emotion in that same circumstance without anything outside of you changing. A great question to ask yourself is, how do I want to feel about this person or the situation or this thing that happened to me? You get to decide. One of the most powerful examples of this that I've heard was from a woman who had been brutally attacked by a man who had the intent of physically harming her and then taking her life. And for a while after this experience, she really struggled with fear and depression and anxiety and all of those emotions as you would imagine. Well, she realized that she needed to process the whole experience and give herself time to really feel those emotions and even go out and share her experience with others. But after a couple years, she realized that continuing to dwell in those emotions was really keeping her from moving forward with her life. And so, with the help of her coach, she came to the place where she was ready to move on. She decided that instead of feeling depressed or afraid or defeated in this circumstance, what she wanted to feel was empowered. And so she worked to find a thought that would get her to feeling empowered. And then she practiced and practiced and practiced that. And it worked. She made a conscious choice to make her experience mean something completely different than what she'd been making it mean for years. And it completely changed the direction of her life. She was able to move on from that experience and has done so much good helping other women who have been victims in similar circumstances. And this experience, this man and what he did to her doesn't have any power over her anymore. She's taken it back and is accomplishing amazing things for herself and for other women. So our action from a place of empowerment will be much more positive and deliberate and effective it is from a place of victimhood now before i end i just want to go back to something i said earlier i really think the principles of coaching are actually teaching us about how to acquire the attributes of our heavenly father i remember one day when i was studying some material and it really just clicked that the principles of emotional wellness are basically teaching us to acquire the characteristics of the savior and as part of the savior's mission He was pointing us towards our Father. He was the earthly example of how to develop these divine attributes, because that's our potential, right? And I believe that our Heavenly Father is the most emotionally healthy being in the universe. It's what makes him who he is, and we all have his attributes within us. And part of our work in this life is to cultivate those attributes to become more like him. So I was listening to a really great BYU devotional talk by Professor Andrew Skinner, And he pointed out that God possesses an independent faith, meaning that he's not dependent on any other being or any other power to bring about his purposes, which means that he can accomplish his work regardless of how we as his children use our agency or whether or not we love him or believe in him or how many forces are working against him to try to thwart his plan. And I thought, that is emotional adulthood. Heavenly Father isn't dependent on anyone else to fulfill his purposes, and I think becoming an emotional adult is a step in the direction of developing that godly attribute. So isn't it interesting that the emotionally healthy life is also the most godly way to live? Sometimes, I think we put these two things into separate categories, our mental and emotional health versus our spiritual well-being, when really they're directing us to the same goal. So again, to quote Brigham Young, the principles of eternity and eternal exaltation are of no use to us unless they are brought down to our capacities so that we practice them in our lives. And when we can recognize and apply the principles that give us the capacity to become like our Heavenly Father, we are going to live more genuine, happy, fulfilling lives. And we'll be getting closer to reaching our own individual divine potential. So this week, be aware of what or who you're letting influence your emotions and your thinking and try putting it into a model and see what it's creating for you. And again, if you'd like some insight or help with this, you can sign up for a free mini session on my website at motherhoodelevated.com. Okay, that's all I have for you today, but I'll see you back again here next time. Have a great week, everybody. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to check out my website at motherhoodelevated.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session to see what working with me looks like, as well as find information on classes I offer or get on the list for some weekly inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's motherhoodelevated.com. Have a great week!